The show, This Is Us, has become quite popular. I realize that in saying that, some of you may know of the show and be waiting um, very anxiously for the second season to begin at the end of September. Others of you may be thinking, I don't even know the name of the show. It's on TV, and it has become quite a blockbuster hit. I think it's for NBC. I believe I'm getting that right. But as uh, over the next month, as persons wait, I will be one of those who's waiting for it to begin. I will have to share with you that. The story is fascinating, and I can tell you the basic plot without giving away too much of the suspense that is a part of the show. Jack and Rebecca find each other and fall in love, and as they are expecting children, they find out that it is going to be triplets. When they go to the hospital for these triplets to be born, it is a great celebration until the doctor comes out and says that one of these precious babies has not been born alive, it is stillborn. And you can imagine how this crushed, especially the mother of the children, also the father as well, as they looked at their situation, the mother was hardly able to pay any joyful attention to the two children that were then living there in front of her and down in the nursery, of course, down the hallway. The father in want of wanting to do something, was in a terrible dilemma because there seemed to be no good answer to this situation. A doctor, a very wise man, saw an opportunity. It happened that that very evening of those births that another child had been placed on the doorsteps of the local fire department abandoned there. Someone had brought that child to the hospital and it too was in the nursery without a mama or daddy present next to the two children that had just been born and were there in the nursery. In consultation with the doctor, the, the father of these two children that were there in the nursery decided that maybe they could adopt this other child since it had no one to care for it. And back in the 60s, all things were possible when this occurred and the doctor was able to work it out so that very thing happened. Of course, you can imagine what the mother must have had to go through in her mind to make this transition, especially knowing that this is now a biracial family because of this adoption. It is a fascinating show. And it is so fascinating, I think, because the different siblings, particularly as they grow up, have lives that are so intertwined with each other. And there are life issues with each one of them that they are trying to work out as best they can. The title is taken from the fact that the characters are just who they are. 
They just are who they are. This is us. Take it or leave it. This is us. And I like this. In fact, I think it is part of the reason that the show is so very popular these days. The brokenness of the characters makes them very accessible to we who also have our brokenness. Is there anybody here that understands this? Do you understand why this show could be so very popular? Those characters look real to us, which makes us think they are one of us. This is us. This past week, I know your eyes have been focused on the attention that the news media has given to the solar eclipse, and perhaps you were able to get a glimpse of that, hopefully through some glasses, if you did that, the solar eclipse glasses. But uh, the sad truth of being here in Statesboro is that the clouds eclipsed our eclipse, and we didn't see too much. I had come with full preparation. In fact, I had made a pinhole box. Now, someone might say, well, I've seen these made out of shoeboxes. You did not see the Cadillac version that I made. My box was about this size, and my other staff uh, here at the church took great delight in seeing me put my head inside the box in order to observe the eclipse that day. It was a wonderful and fun celebration. And some of you, I know sitting here in the uh, congregation, were able to travel where the total eclipse, the full, the full eclipse took place. In the path of totality, where it occurred, the moon's shadow fell in full on the face of this planet. And it was unlike what we would have seen here. But for those who saw it, they might have gotten two, two and a half minutes of darkness in which it was possible not only to see the stars in the sky, the brighter stars, the planets, of course, that were around this spectacle, but also to see the corona, which is the evidence of the sun that is completely blocked except for its outer rays by the image of the moon in its path. I can only imagine what that would have been like, but you can imagine with me the darkness obscuring the sun, the brightest object in the sky, does it not make you even more aware of the sun that is behind the darkness? Photographers stood and took picture upon picture upon picture just to capture this halo effect suspended in space above us. Leonard Cohen, do any of you know that name? A singer and poet, a few of you do, I see your hands going up. Leonard Cohen, God bless his soul, died this past November. He was not 
a big office uh, hit in terms of just popularity on radio. But he had such a following for those that had heard his poetry, his music, his lyrics. It was strange to hear him sing. He didn't really sing a song. He talked a song with a deep, deep bass voice. And one of the songs that he became most well known for was one that was aptly named Anthem. I'm going to try to do a little impersonation of Leonard Cohen, which is a very dangerous thing to do. But these are a few of the lyrics of that great song. The birds they sing at the break of day start again. I heard them say, don't dwell on what has passed away or what is yet to be. Ring the bells that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There is a crack, a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. Forgive me, Leonard. You picked up on this, and I hope that you got it. It is, it is actually, I'm quoting Leonard Cohen here, but Leonard Cohen was quoting Rumi, the Sufi poet, who said so many centuries ago, the wound is the place where the light gets in, which is the same thing here. The crack, the crack that is in everything, that's how the light gets in. You heard those words before it, didn't you? Forget your perfect offering. This is the bane of the existence of the church. If you haven't figured this out yet, let me tell you. The bane of the existence of the church is that somehow we begin to think this is the way things are everywhere and that we are most called to offer that perfect offering. You see, the problem with that is that we're not very perfect people, right? We have great difficulty in being perfect. Even when we strive to do what is right, we end up doing things that are wrong. The Apostle Paul knew this. Forget your perfect offering, he would have told us, just like Leonard Cohen said. There is a crack in everything. And so I ask you a question. In fact, I ask you two questions today. What do you do with your brokenness? Is it so covered up completely that it is no longer a part of any kind of confessional to God? What do you do with your brokenness? And here's one that is even perhaps more important than that. What do you do with other people's brokenness? We are an odd assembly, we who gather here and call ourselves church. If you don't believe that, you're not looking at it from the same perspective than I am. We are an odd assembly of folk that are gathered together on this day in this place. I love the words of Groucho Marx, 
And he said, I refuse to be a part of any club who would have me as a member. <laughs> and I thought he's talking about the church here, talking about the church, because we are an odd assembly of folk come together. You read this, I suppose, and heard it in Paul's voice, didn't you? As he's reflecting on his own life, Paul's desire to do good, but his inability to actually see it through and do it. I do not understand my own actions, he says, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now he goes on to say, now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good. But in fact, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me. That's an interesting perspective that he has there. I think if we pushed Paul on that, he would say, he would say, well, I'm talking, and he does say a little further down, I'm talking about the part of myself that is flesh that controls so much of who I am. Thomas Merton, a Trappist monk, a few years back, lived up in Kentucky and was a part of a monastery, the Abbey of Gethsemane, which is just outside of Louisville, Kentucky. He was a man of great theological reflection. Even his prayers showed through that he was thinking about God in ways that you and I often don't. Here's the beginning of one prayer that he wrote. My Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think that I am following your will does not mean that I am actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does, in fact, please you. Thomas Merton was a man of great and deep deep faith. He tells the story that he went into Louisville to go to the doctor one day. And as he was there, he was walking downtown and he was surrounded by many people who were also in the city that day. He was waiting to cross one of the streets and it was this mystical occurrence in his life that everywhere he looked, that people began to shimmer with almost the light of heaven as they were transformed for him. He said, if I saw them, I saw them shimmering like the sun. And he wondered to himself in his journal, if only we could see each other that way all the time. Let me tell you, that would transform, that would transform not only the church, but that would transform the world. We, without so much meaning to, 
Send these little judgments on others. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I was making a visit in the hospital this past week to several of the members of our congregation who were there. As I walked through the main lobby of the hospital and was on the way to the elevator, a young man and several members of his family got off the elevator and walked past me. I was stunned when I saw him. He looked as if someone had doused him with fire. It looked as if he had been chemically burned from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. And in fact, his feet were not what he was walking on. He was walking on his ankles because his feet were turned sideways. I did not know how this could be possible, but he was at quite a steady gait with the rest of the family. He and his disfigured face And as I walked past him, I know that the shock must have shone on my face. I was not too embarrassed to stop and look back over my shoulder to get one more glimpse of what I thought was either a miracle or a great curse in my presence. It was... Certainly, if he picked up on it, a judgment that he had seen all too often. (laughs) Who is it that even without our saying a word, reads our very thoughts by the way in which we look at them? Who is it that picks up on who we are And what our attitude is toward them without our even saying a word. Is there any shimmering of the sun in every person we see as it was for Thomas Merton when he looked out in Louisville that day? It was in the 5th century that artists began to paint halos over the heads of people. And in fact, they started with the Holy Family. They started with Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus, of course. These, I mean, who wouldn't paint a halo over these three? And with just a smudge of paint in this crescent over their brows, They were elevated in importance as that little bit of paint shone back the light toward us. It became so popular to put a halo over those important person's heads that they wanted to put halos over more person's heads. If there was a picture of Jesus' disciples gathered round him or if Jesus was preaching the Sermon on the Mount, everyone in the picture would have a halo over their head. In fact, if you saw a picture of the, the lamb on the throne, the gathering in heaven, 
that is painted by this vision of John on Patmos in Revelation, you would see little halos on the heads of all the people that were gathered there around the throne. Halos to spare. I looked at one icon in reflecting on sharing this with you. And you know what I saw? I saw Jesus around the table with his disciples. And each one of them had this halo over their heads. Spare one who did not have a halo at all. Nothing shining over his head. And I bet you can guess who that was. Come on, help me here. Judas. Everybody knows that it would be Judas, right? No light of Christ shining in him. No godliness about him to consider what he did in any way would be to simply consider him as the the unforsaken meanness that he was. And yet I don't know so much anymore even about Judas. Have you read the scripture? Have you read the story of Judas? Let me refresh our memories in Matthew 27 when Judas, Jesus' betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he repented and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. He said, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. Throwing down the pieces of silver in the temple, he departed and he went and hanged himself. I think I would put a halo over Judas's head too. Not because of who Judas was, but because of who Jesus is. You hear me on this? Because the very nature of Jesus is to shine through the cracks in our lives. You remember the story of Mary and Martha. We've talked about it here before. Martha back there clanging the pans and the pots in the kitchen, trying to get the attention of her sister when he doesn't get the attention of Mary, who's out there listening to Jesus. And before him, she has to come out herself. She doesn't talk to Mary. She talks to Jesus and asks Jesus to take care of this, that she has not been responsible as the sister that she should have been. And Jesus looks Martha in the eyes. And he says, really, to tell you the truth, Martha, Mary has made the better choice at this time. Now, you think that did not get through to Martha? I know very well it did. If you've read through the scripture, you know that when we next meet with Mary and Martha at the death of Lazarus, there is a marked change in how Martha relates to Jesus. No complaint about Mary there. 
because the light had come through her brokenness to fill her heart. And you know that Paul is saying this about himself when he asked the question, who will rescue me from the body of death? Who will rescue me? Like Peter beside the Sea of Galilee after Jesus had been crucified and even after he had heard stories of his resurrection, he had gone back to fishing. Jesus stood there on the shore and Peter realized who it was. Dove in, swam to Jesus. Jesus was already preparing breakfast. And in the midst of that breakfast, he asks Peter, do you love me? This is what it's about. Do you love me? You know I love you. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? (laughs) Can't you feel the light coming through? This one who had denied, who had denied even knowing Jesus. And Jesus still sought to allow Not even that to eclipse his love for Peter. I saw a t-shirt the other day that simply said, Jesus made me kosher. (laughs) I love that. I've got to give me one of those t-shirts. Jesus made me kosher. It's a wonderful thought. See, this is exactly what Paul is saying. He is saying, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is the only one that can do it. Have you realized that for yourself? Do you embrace it for others? My favorite service, actually I should say my second favorite service in the Christian year occurs on Christmas Eve with our candlelight communion. Do you all know how precious that is? I mean, Easter, the sanctuary fills up at Easter with all kinds of rascals that we let in, you know? including us that are gathered here today. And on Christmas Eve, it happens again that the sanctuary fills up with all of us rascals there. And at the end of the service, we pass the light of Christ and the image of the candle, the lit candle, and so that the entirety of the sanctuary is filled with this beautiful in the words of Thomas Merton, this shimmering sun, that it's a glow. Such a powerful idea to value what God is doing, what God is doing. We may not be so active, but I hope and pray that we will get active with what God is doing because that is the only reason We should be gathered here in this place. There is a crack, a crack in everything, in everything 
in everything. That's how the light gets in. That will change how you look at yourself and change how you look at others too. Now, as good as he is at his lyrics, I do not want to end this sermon with the words of Leonard Cohen. (laughs) I want to switch gears here briefly. And I want to end this sermon with the words that God told Moses to speak to the people of Israel. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his son saying, thus you shall bless the Israelites. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.